There's a staggering statistic I heard a couple years ago, which means it's probably even worse today. In Knox County alone, there are over 300,000 people who are disconnected from the life of the church. Now, some of those people claim to be Christian, and they very well might be, but they've left the body because of division and anger and hatred and judgment. They've left the community of faith because they see this people, the people of God, looking just like we, the people of America. And they say, if that's who the church is, I'll do this on my own. Unfortunately, for most, doing it on your own bears very little fruit. And so we have a responsibility and an opportunity right in our own neighborhoods in our own families, and our own workplaces. Rather than insisting on what we know to be true and insisting on what we believe is right, and rather than insisting on my way, we have an opportunity to say it's not about me. It's about us, about Jesus bringing us together. Hi, this is Chris from The Point, a church where you can come as you are and you can text in your questions. You may not be sure what you believe about God, Jesus, faith, or the Bible, and that's okay, because faith is not about having it all figured out, and God is not waiting for you to put your life together before He'll connect with you. If you'd like to find out more about The Point, you can visit our website at thepointknox.com or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at The Point Knox. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life, or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are. Good morning. I am, like Emily, pleasantly surprised to see so many of you here today, and some of you I haven't seen in quite a while. It is so good to be here with you. My name is Adam, and I'm the pastor here at The Point. And on this 4th of July, we get to celebrate together National Hot Dog Eating Day. Who's with me? Anybody? Uh, I heard earlier this week that they anticipate 150 million hot dogs being consumed today alone in this country. Just think of that. That's like every other one of us having a hot dog. Or in most cases, me having two and you skipping yours, all right? What I love about the 4th of July is it's the only holiday I know of on record where you can have a hot dog, a hamburger, and a steak or chicken, depending on what part of the country you're from, and nobody judges you for eating all three. So welcome this morning. Uh, Today, as we celebrate, I'm going to do something that I told myself years ago I would never do. And here's the deal, if you tell yourself I'm never going to do something, warning, you probably will at some point, because that's the way our God typically works. So what I told myself was I will never have a Sunday morning around the 4th of July that's about America and the 4th of July. But I didn't say a Sunday morning on the 4th of July, so I have a little loophole there. Uh, So today we're going to talk a little bit about us as a country We the people, and in turn, we're going to talk about us as a people, the church, and who those two are and who they're not. 
Now, before we get into this, I just want to clarify in case already red flags are raised. We as a country cannot and should not be equated to we as a church. And any time that people confuse the two, it's a problem. And I'm going to unpack some of that here in a little bit. So if even that leaves you on edge, that's okay. Just bear with me and trust me. God is God and I am not, and it will be okay. So here goes. Now, I have to pull out a little cheat because I did not commit it to memory. But to kick us off, I thought I would start with these words maybe you've heard before. We the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. Do ordain and establish this constitution for the United States of America. Maybe you've heard those words before or other similar words. We hold these truths to be self-evident. Oftentimes when America comes into conversation, especially amongst Americans and Christians, what we find is people hear these words of the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence and all the words that are down in history that shape and form who we are as a people. And they hear these and many times confuse, we are a Christian nation. We hold these truths to be self-evident that God ordained that all should have life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that all men were created equal. We hold these words with great esteem and celebration. But sometimes we don't. This nation was created to form a more perfect union, and 245 years later, we seem far from a more perfect union to establish justice, and yet there are many in our communities who feel they're experiencing injustice on a daily basis to promote tranquility, and yet we find ourselves not so much united but divided and not so much at peace but in turmoil. Often these words are used to say we are a Christian nation because our founding fathers honored God. Well, I'd really like, or apologize, I'd like to apologize, I hate to do this, but if you do not know this, most of our founding fathers were not Christian. Most of them were deists, and the difference is, deists believe that God exists, but he's separate from the world. And in his separateness, he is over all things, but he doesn't pay attention to all things. He just lets them go about their course and do their thing. Most of our founding fathers, if they had a faith in God at all, had not a faith in God, the creator, redeemer, and restorer, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but in a God who was distant and said, you just figure it out, it'll be okay. And for many of them, their faith was actually in something called the Enlightenment. And if you're not familiar with the Enlightenment, it's back up a few hundred years. There was a, na a man named Rene Descartes in the 1500s who was wrestling with, how do I know that I exist and that I'm real? And ultimately his solution was, if I'm able to think, I must have some part of me that is real. Therefore I, th I think, therefore I am. And this man sparked a whole new movement unintentionally of reshifting all of the way we centered the world 
away from being centered on God to now being centered on man. And so the enlightenment was a pursuit to say, if man is the center of all things, what comes from that? How does man operate? How does man as the center govern itself? How does man as the center care for itself? How do we elevate the individual and individual rights above that of the collective whole? And with this, our founding fathers wrote these documents. We hold these truths to be self-evident. And if you read it, it goes on a little further to say that it's because of the people that government has its authority. Because of the people collectively saying this is our voice, the government acts on our behalf. But that's not exactly what we as Christians believe. The government does not exist because the people will it to be. The government exists because God created it. And he authorized it, good or bad or ugly. He is the giver of all authority. And no authority comes from us or our own approach or desires. It all comes from him. Even the bad governments. So we were founded as this product of the enlightenment and as this grew in our nation's psyche, for a long while there was a Christian uh, kind of anchor that was holding most of the country back. And I don't mean holding it back like preventing us from progressing forward, but I mean holding it back in that because there was a collective understanding by most and the majority were Christian, there was a collective willingness to submit to Christ at least in some regards. Generally speaking, morality was shaped by the Christian norm, even as the culture moved further and further away from Christ as the center. And so the Christian morality shaped America in many ways, but the problem with that is, when you take Christ out of Christian morality, you have very little to hold you together. And so as over the last hundred years, the church has shifted further away from Christ, so too our culture has come to say, these Christian things that we talk about don't make any sense. And there are some today who want to cling to a, a glorified past of what we think once was. And there are some today who say, let's abandon it all and run freely into an altogether new, more progressive direction, one that's better. And to be fair, the church has at times used their Christian morality and scripture and faith in very unhealthy, unchrist-like ways. So there's some truth in both clinging to what maybe once was and also letting go of some of what once was. And I think for you and me, there's a lot of freedom to actually recognize that this country and our values and the things we were founded upon are maybe not as great as we once thought. And here's why I think this is really freeing for you and me. So long as we are founded on the belief that the individual is the center and the most important, we will always feel the need to hold the individual as the most important. And the problem with putting you or me, the individual, as the most important is we can't do what Jesus tells us to do. We can't be the people God created us to be as long as it's about you and me. It has to be about so much more. 
See, we, the people of the United States, believe it's all about me. But that's not what scripture says. So today we're gonna look at who Jesus tells the church to be through the words of Paul, who we as the people of God are supposed to be in the dark. Cool. Um, For those of you on live stream, I'm still here. You can hear me. For those of you in person, it doesn't matter, right? Because we have windows. Uh, So who are we supposed to be in this world? To begin, oh, thanks, Nick. Uh, To begin, we're going to look at Romans chapter 12, verses 4 and 5. If you want to follow along, I think it's on page 1183. Yeah, in the Bibles in front of you or upstairs on the sides. Um, Or you can use your phone. Romans chapter 12. Now, before we get here, let me back up to the first 11 chapters of Romans. Paul is writing to the church, the people of God in Rome. And the people of God are a very mixed group. Some of them are Jewish and some of them are Gentile. And if you don't know what those words mean, we'll get there in a moment. But some of them grew up believing they were the people of God and then met Jesus and saw him as the fulfillment of that promise. And some of them grew up believing they were actually separate from God and not allowed to be in the same place as those other people. And so Paul's writing to this church and for the first 11 chapters, he spells out our hope in Jesus. How God gave us the Old Testament and all the laws to reveal to us who he was and how much we needed him and how through all of that, God moved us and and sent his son who died in our place and forgave us and frees us and this great and wonderful savior. And then he gets to chapter 12 and because of all of this hope that we have, he says, therefore I appeal to you, present yourself as a sacrifice. Give yourself up. And then he goes on in verse four, he says this, for as in one body, we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. This is one of Paul's favorite analogies. He uses this in most of his books, to be quite honest. He talks about the church as a body. He says, we are one body together. And just as your body has many members, but they're all the same, even as they're different. They're all part of one body. Imagine cutting your finger off, or if you're Shane Bryant and you have done that, right? Imagine if that finger remains separate. At some point it dies. If that finger's not attached, if that body part's not a part of the whole, but an individual on its own, it will not survive. Paul, he uses this imagery of the church to say, we are like a body, though we're all individual, collectively, we are one. He uses this in Corinthians and Ephesians and a bunch of his books to describe what it's like for you and me to belong as the people of God. Now, before we go into what comes after this, I just want to pause there for a moment. We showed that video, the Me Church, and somebody asked this morning in our devotion, after our devotion uh, with the volunteers, I said, what if we show that video and people don't get it? So what do you mean? Like, what if that's how they're coming in, actually thinking it's all about me? Now, thankfully, that video is pretty ridiculous. I hope none of you think that the temperature is determined by you, but at least from my perspective, it's always warm in here, so... Uh, If you're cold, it's probably my fault because I don't know it's cold in here. And if you're hot, me too, all right? (laughs) But 
We shared that video because unfortunately, as America is a collection of individuals, as our society exists not for the sake of the whole, but for each individual, as our founding fathers pictured a world where you or me, the individual, could be the highest authority, there's very little need for one another. See, if it's all about you or me, I can do this on my own. I can go and be at the lake today and not here this morning, or I could go and never participate in the life of the church, and I can know Jesus on my own, and that's okay. And yet, if it's not about you, and it's not about me, when we cut ourselves off from the rest of the body, we will begin to die. We will lose some of what God has in store. And even if by some miracle we still live on and our faith remains strong, the rest of the body loses when something's cut off. If we are just a collection of individuals and our gathering is just about how much do I like the music or how much do I like the pastor, how much do I like the comfortable seats, which we don't have in these pews compared to the movie theater, right? If it's all about me, there's no point in being here today. So with that, Paul continues, and for the next two, two and a half chapters, he talks about what are the marks of being a Christian. If we belong to this body, if we're a part of this community, how do we live and love and serve? Then we get to chapter 15, and this is what he says, beginning in verse 1. Right before this, he's talking about those who are bothered by eating certain foods. And he talks about if somebody's bothered by the way you act and you're a Christian, it's really simple. Just don't do that anymore, right? Like even if it's totally okay for you to drink Starbucks, if somebody else is really bothered because Starbucks is this evil corporation, then don't drink Starbucks around them, all right? It's really simple. So that's what Paul spells out. And then he continues with this in verse 1. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Paul, he's writing, he says, look, if we're strong in faith, if we are these people of God, we should look for those who are struggling the most, who are hurting the most, and rather than tell them to conform to our standard and be like us, instead we should come underneath them to serve them. We should put their needs ahead of us. The same way that Christ took all of our shame and all of our reproach and all of the, the negative brokenness we deserve, in the same way he took that for us, we should for our neighbor. Verse four, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. 
We sing Christ be magnified. We sing that we want his name to be lifted high, that he's the one worthy of praise. And it's one thing to say that. It's another thing to live that out. The way that he is magnified and lifted high and receives glory from a sinful man like me is when it becomes less about me and more about you. When I surrender my life and seek to live in harmony, at peace, unified with one another. When we do this, Christ is glorified. He continues, for I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. Now just to clarify, those who are circumcised and the Gentiles, the circumcised is language used to refer to God's people, his chosen ones, because all the way back with Abraham, when he first made the promise that he would bless Abraham and make him into a great nation and a blessing for the whole world, God said, this will be my sign that you are set apart, that you are mine. And all the men were required on the eighth day to be circumcised. Now I have to say, if you were a convert at the time, becoming a Jewish person or a follower of this God as a grown man, that would be a bummer. Because the only way you could follow God would be to take a few days and recover from a little bit of snipping. Which is much easier when you're eight days old than when you're 18 or 20. The circumcised referred to those who were a part of God's people, his chosen people. But with Jesus, everything changed. You see, all the way in the beginning, even there with Abraham, the promise was not, you shall be my people and the whole rest of the world be damned. So you shall be my people and through you, everybody will be blessed. Through you, the whole world will know what I've called them to, what I'm doing, how I'm restoring you. The Gentiles, that was all those who were not a part of this faith, either born into it or all those who uh, never as an adult said, this is the God I follow and submitted themselves to it. And there was a division at the time where the Jewish people believed as God's people they were better than everyone else and they were set apart and nobody could be quite as good as they were. For those who believe America is God's chosen nation and God's holy people, I think sometimes the same division happens today that says some of us in the church are holier and better than some of those people not in the church. And some of us are less sinful because we don't fall into sin in the ways they sin. And we really like to create a division between us and them generally because when we make it about us, we can feel good because we're not like them. Paul, he's writing, for I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. See, for Jesus, 
by being a servant, making it less about him and not about his will or his desires, but surrendering everything. It was so that those who knew God's promises and those who were far off could both be brought near. It continues, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, it said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. Again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. See, everything Christ did in his life and his body and his flesh and his death and his resurrection, it was all about one thing, those who are far off being unified. And you and I, we are not Christ. We will not get it right. But I believe wholeheartedly that when seeking to live in harmony, seeking to restore what is broken, when seeking to find those who are far off and disconnected and welcoming them, when we do this, not just on Sunday morning, but throughout every day, we make each choice not about me and my rights and desires and freedoms and opinions, but rather about lifting others up that instead of me, it can be we. When we do this, I believe Christ will be glorified in us. There's a staggering statistic I heard a couple years ago, which means it's probably even worse today. In Knox County alone, there are over 300,000 people who are disconnected from the life of the church. Now some of those people claim to be Christian and they very well might be, but they've left the body because of division and anger and hatred and judgment. They've left the community of faith because they see this people, the people of God, looking just like we, the people of America. And they say, if that's who the church is, I'll do this on my own. Unfortunately, for most, doing it on your own bears very little fruit. And so we have a responsibility and an opportunity right in our own neighborhoods, in our own families, in our own workplaces. Rather than insisting on what we know to be true and insisting on what we believe is right, and rather than insisting on my way, we have an opportunity to say it's not about me, it's about us, and about Jesus bringing us together. And I believe when we do this, those who are far off will join us in singing, praise you, Jesus, and your name be glorified. This 4th of July, whether you're eating a dozen hot dogs or you're skipping hot dogs altogether, well, whether you're celebrating the freedoms we have in this country or you're mourning the injustice that you're feeling, wh whatever you're feeling today, my hope for us is that we can begin to be the people that it stops, to be, or stops being about us, at least us individually, 
And it can begin to be all about us as one people, loving and serving and caring the way we're told to. Will you join me in prayer? God, we come before you, we the people, your people, uncircumcised Gentiles who were once far off and disconnected. We come before you with gratitude. Lord, you have brought us near. You have given us unity. You have made us one. So God, I ask you would teach us to reject the rampant individualism of our culture that says it's all about me. Would you teach us to reject the desire to place me in the center of all of our life, our coming and our going? God, may we instead place you in the center, that you may be glorified in everything we do, that so far as it's up to us, we would seek to live at peace with one another in harmony, welcoming those who may or may not be like us, who may or may not yet know how great you are. God, may we as one people, one body, declare your praises. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we continue our worship this morning, we're going to continue by collecting an offering. If you came prepared today to give and you would like to partner with what God's doing through giving, you can do that in the popcorn buckets in the back if you prefer cash and check. Or if you filled out one of those physical connect cards, you can put those in those buckets as well. If you prefer to give online, you can do so at thepointknox.com by clicking the little teal button in the bottom corner. However you give and whatever you give, know this. It's not to get God's love, but because you already have it. Now it sounds like we have a lot of questions today. We have today. a lot of questions. Awesome. So I, welcome. Uh, um, first question, how many times do you have to take communion before you've eaten a whole Jesus? <laughs> um, every time you take it, you eat the whole Jesus and some magical, mysterious, not magical, that's the wrong word, some uh, mysterious way it magical, happens. Magical, I think magical works. Yes, yeah. some wonderful way because he promises. Now, how many Jesuses have you eaten in your lifetime? Just one, somehow. <laughs> it's the same one every time. All right, um, okay. We all know that Jesus is the Christ. However, in modern times, we seem to append Christ to Jesus' name, like it's his last name. So I was wondering what Jesus' last name was when he walked the earth. Last names weren't really as big of a thing back then. It was usually Jesus of Nazareth or somebody of this place or somebody related to this person. It was more relational than it was just a name. So I don't know that he had a last name. Um, he's called Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus Mary's son, uh, Jesus the Christ. Jesus Mary's son. That's yeah. nice. Mary's son. Yeah. Maybe that was his last name. We just mistranslated <laughs> it. Um, I'm, I'm, I know I'm rushing, but there's just a lot, so... Okay, okay, now I'm talking. Okay, okay, next question. I'm in no hurry. In our, <laughs> in our morning prayer, we all have hot dogs. Um, in our morning prayer today, it was mentioned not living our lives fully for God, but for ourselves. Not seeing him as king, but looking to our wants, hopes, and dreams, and only involving God when he's our savior and friend, granting the desires of our hearts. I've been challenged with giving my life to God to find it, um, in parentheses, Matthew 16, 25, with letting go of my plans, wants, hopes, and dreams, and trusting God with my life, whatever path he chooses. But I struggle because I want the good stuff too. So how can I find the balance? 
Jesus also says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. And that's not a prosperity promise that if you seek Jesus, you're going to have an abundance of stuff and money and whatever you want. But rather, when we seek Jesus and put him first, there's a season and a time of hurt and loss as we lose those other things. But what we find in him is far greater. And sometimes when we find that in him, we're actually more open and receptive to finding it in the world around us as well. So if you're hurting and you're losing and you want both, it's okay to want both. Let's start with Jesus and maybe don't do that alone. We can walk with you and help you find the comfort and the peace and maybe some of the stuff as well outside of Jesus. Pastor Adam, do you think Jesus would have tolerated any form of nationalism or talk of one's nation in church? Talk of one or celebration of one? The short answer is uh, no, Jesus is not a nationalist. He's not pro this nation or that nation or any nation. Um, in fact, he's pro all nations. So any, any talk of it in such a way that is pro one over and against another, he would absolutely not be okay with. Great. Okay, next question. What are some actionable things that we as people raised in an independent culture can do to correct the behavior perpetrated by our environment? Do you think that people in interdependent cultures have a significantly easier time with organized religion? Yes. I love that question, by the way. Uh, Two questions. Do they have an easier time? Yes. It's much easier to see who Jesus is when we live in a culture that supports interdependence. Now, if you're not familiar with that term, interdependence is not dependence in the sense like I need this person in order to survive, but rather we mutually benefit from leaning on one another. And so cultures that mutually benefit from leaning on one another, it's much easier to embrace who are we as the church. Now, what's an actionable thing you can do in this world that is very individualistic? There's a ton of them. One, you could begin practicing radical generosity. Like when you go out to a restaurant, don't just tip the minimum or don't not tip at all. You should never do that. However, seek a way to say, how do I give even more to bless this total stranger? Or or maybe you could to go over and against that individualism, you can say, I need other people in my faith walk. And likewise, other people need me in theirs. So I'm going to commit even when I'm tired and not feeling well, unless you're sick. Like that's different. Just worn out, not feeling well, right? I'm going to commit to showing up every Sunday to be here in person so that I can be an encouragement to somebody else or I'm gonna commit to serving on a Sunday, or maybe I'm gonna commit to joining a group of people in the middle of the week so we can build friendships and community outside of this hour together. So those are a few things. I can give you a long list of other things to begin to make it less about you and more about others. Beautiful. Um, Okay, next question. What about things like abortion or gay marriage? Should we insist on things like that being our way or let the world decide? You know, that's a really wonderful question because our American Christianity has elevated American Christian morality in such a way that we put morals ahead of Jesus. But the truth of the matter is, Jesus changes us, not the other way around. So let's first introduce people to Jesus. Let's show them who he is and what he's about and how much he loves. And out of that place, let's find a conversation to discuss the things we all live in that are not honoring him, the things that are sinful, as opposed to first putting up the sin and say, that's not okay, and then telling people about Jesus. So 
um, are there things like abortion and sexuality and all kinds of things that our culture says that the church maybe should say, though that's not where we stand? Absolutely, 100%. However, the, the church in the times right after Jesus for a couple hundred years, their priority was not let's tell this pagan world that does all kinds of heinous things how terrible they are. Rather, let's be the most radical community of people who love and serve completely different and in that place, out of that place, conversations happen about even these things in morality. Um, just a couple more. Uh, Jesus said, for the one who is not against us is for us in regard to someone doing things in Jesus' name who wasn't walking with the disciples. Does this relate to people who are trying to follow Christ on their own and in their own way today? Yeah, I, I do believe you can be Christian outside of the church, but just like a flame, if you're having a bonfire and a spark uh, pops out of that fire, that spark may die off and nothing happens to it, or it may create a really unhealthy fire and become something you don't want. And so, yes, you can be Christian outside of the organized church, but it's really, really difficult, and I would not assume you're the exception. So, um, are there Christians who are not part of the church? Yeah, of those 300,000 in Knox County, I'm sure several of them have been baptized and know who Jesus is and love Jesus. And so we as the church body have to show them who Jesus is through the way we love one another. All right, how can God handle when we're mad at him? If we're mad at him, does it lessen his love? No, it does not. And how can he handle it? Well, because he's way bigger than you and me. And uh, if you think your anger against him is either something he's never experienced before or he's just not quite big enough for, let me show you a God who's far bigger than that, all right? Um, you will never surprise God, and even if you say some pretty nasty words in your prayer time and your hurt and your pain, you will never say something that's like, ooh, I've not heard that word before. <laughs> I had no idea she could say that word or he could do that. Like, I didn't know. God knows he can handle it. Beautiful. Okay, this is the last question, I'm pretty sure. All right. Um, Maybe not. You can refresh. These I know. Points. that's a <laughs> What are the key differences between the Lutheran church and other Christian denominations? Oh, that is not a short answer. So, um, Did someone say beer? beer? <laughs> Here in the South, the key difference is that's real wine as opposed to grape juice. Um, however, I would say the biggest short answer is as a Lutheran church body, we center all of our conversation not on the works we need to do to become holy, not on um, the way in which we live as holy people, um, rather, we center it all on God's promised forgiveness that we find in his word and in baptism and in communion. So we constantly come back to these three things as the center of our source of hope and grace and forgiveness. And from that place, whether you drink beer or don't drink beer and whether you continue to sin or don't continue to sin, it's about his grace being sufficient, not about us needing to be different. That would be the real quick short answer. I like that. Thank you. Yeah. Were there any more after you refreshed, or did you not refresh because you're afraid? I did refresh. Okay. Well, you're always welcome to send in questions during the week. Uh, next week, if you have really, really difficult questions, um, please ask them, but they probably won't get answered. Uh, because next week, we have the joy of Adam, our uh, soon-to-be pastoral intern. Uh, he's going to be preaching next week as I'm out of town celebrating Laura's grandma's 90th birthday. Woohoo! Yeah. So... 
because I'm out of town, he'll be preaching. I'm super excited uh, for what he's got to share. And I also want to ask all of you um, to maybe have a second cup of coffee so that you're awake and alert um, so he can be encouraged on his first time and not scared or less scared at least, all right? So with that, is that everything? That's everything. Awesome. Receive this blessing as you go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting The Point Ministry, simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are.